Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm joined in the studio now by John McKenzie. Hello. And JJ Ball the Bullet. Yes. Also joining us from Deutschland. Ah, guten Tag, Herr Staffordblower. Wie geht's du? Guten Tag, Herr Devine. Wie geht's gut? Lovely, Gates. So much to discuss today. Of course, there's the Euros. We'll be touching on that. Pogba returning to Juventus. I think we've talked about that before, but maybe we'll get JJ Ball's uh, comments related to that. Very, I can't wait for those. Matthias Delict. There's lots of transfer rumours related to him, uh, so we will discuss. A player until recently I was pretty convinced was staying at Juventus. Clement Longley has joined Tottenham on loan, uh, so we can discuss that. And uh, Harry Maguire, according to Ten Hag, will retain the captaincy, the small matter of. We will discuss that later too. Some things from Europe, including will Rafinha join Barcelona? Uh, player power. Who doesn't love player power? Jack Wilshire retires. And other things. There we go. So we'll be discussing all of those on today's podcast. And more. Probably not more, because that's quite a lot. But uh, maybe and more. And if you like and more, you should visit The Athletic. Because and more is everywhere on The Athletic. In fact, there's so much that I can't even read it all. Which is an upsetting thing, uh, John McKenzie. It is, yes. Yes. Always more to read on The Athletic. What do you like to read on The Athletic? I like to read Phil Hayes' stuff on The Athletic because, as you know, mm-hmm. I'm a Leeds United fan. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I enjoy keeping up with the Joneses on sure. The Athletic and the, the Leeds Joneses in particular. Sure. They announced a new tactics writer. They announced two new tactics writers, I think, didn't they? One of them they announced yesterday is uh, Ahmed Walid. Mm. I don't know Ahmed. Have you read his stuff before? I have. I'm a good pal of Ahmed. So oh, are you? I think it's a very good hire. I'm excited. To right. Know. And who was the other one? Liam Tom. Oh, Liam Tom. That's right. Yes. Have you read his work? I have. I'm another good pal of mine. So yeah. Oh, a couple of good hires. Is everyone your friend? Yes. Is there a coup? What's happening? Sounds like there's a Mackenzie coup. I'm. Yeah. Tearing it down from the inside. Fine. Well, I think one of my favourite things about The Athletic is uh, the tactics writing. So it's nice that there's additional tactics writing, JJ Bull. And that means there's even more things that you can't read. Yes. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Eat to your heart's desire in the cafe of football journalism. Okay, I will leave you now in the warm hands and the cool embrace of the Euros. Okay, the Euros have been on since uh, last Wednesday. JJ Bull, you watched the game on Sunday night that you were excitedly texting me about. I believe that was uh, Sweden-Netherlands, is that right? Yeah, that was a good game. That's the best game I've seen. Well, actually, no, France last night was quite good. France last night, yeah. People saying France have been the best so far of the first round of games. Oh, yeah, but Miles, I thought England were... I didn't think they were very good. That game was quite boring against Austria on Wednesday. Yeah, it yeah. was really boring. I think England weren't great. A couple of players did all right. Two centre-backs played quite well. They just look a bit panicked, probably nervous because they're at home mm-hmm. and they're trying to set the standards. Sure. And it seemed a bit slow. It was really slow and boring, actually. Spain did all right. Germany were quite good. Well, what was it about Sweden and Netherlands that you enjoyed so much? Standard was really high. Right. Good quality. Football, mm-hmm. quite competitive. They're two of the better teams as well, Sweden and Netherlands. So. Two of the favourites, yeah. Yeah. And then you held well, people like Miedema wasn't playing her normal kind of role. She had to keep coming deep to try and... Apparently that is a normal role now, John McKenzie. Since he's joined Arsenal, she has been playing deeper, and it's yeah. a, it's it's a valuable when it comes to the national team squad. I think there's she's quoted as saying she sees herself as a ten, um, okay. and has been playing that way for Arsenal more recently. 
Right. Uh, but yeah, it was a, a great game from her. I think a lot of the pundits were saying she sort of took the game by the scruff of its neck because I think Sweden are maybe the best tactical team. The Euros they have a lot of depth, they have a lot of flexibility, and they just looked great in terms of the build-up that they were that they were doing. You're a big Sweden fan. Am I? I don't know, are you? you sound I'm a like big it. tactics fan, so... You just look whoever like, does the best tactics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I suppose with the Netherlands, then, they have a couple of players who, who are just sort of quite exciting, who can make those differences. Obviously, in international football, that makes a bit more of a difference, doesn't it, when you have a couple of players who you can sort of rely on. Mm. Um, I know that they were talking in... Uh, some of the, the, the women's journalists were... We're talking about how, I think it's Jonas Eidval, who's the Arsenal manager at the moment. And he was saying, interesting how a lot of players are being played out of their optimal positions in this tournament. Uh, and again, I think that's just because in international play, I think you, if you can get your better players into more attacking positions, sometimes it can it can benefit you. So mm. I think that's something that's kind of interesting to keep an eye out for as well. Have you seen the, the, the usual tactical shifts during tournament football? Everything's a bit more reactive. Maybe teams are a little bit more defensive. The thing that I've been really impressed by actually is the pressing side of the game and I think this is the first women's tournament that I've watched and really enjoyed seeing what the managers are doing off ball. Mm -hmm. It may be simply the case that I am better at watching pressing now so I wouldn't read too much into that as a sort of phenomenon but yeah lots of different approaches that are, are kind of showing that managers of international teams now have the ability to actually get their their teams doing stuff off ball mm. with within a relatively small space of time because well, it's actually, not been a just huge to interrupt amount. you there I can't I, forgive me I can't remember who it was that someone uh, replied uh, to our podcast on Twitter last week saying and uh, making the point that um, that uh, women players actually spend a lot more time with their international teams than men's players tend oh, to it's do Tim Joe. Tim Stillman it's Tim who Stillman who said that yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. was a really interesting point I did not know that before Seb and I guess that uh, you know to, to further to what John is saying um, presumably the more time you have with the team the more likely you are to be able to conquer more complex tactical setups i guess so the more cohesive you are the greater your chemistry with your teammates it makes sense doesn't it i think i've noticed that too like i i think we said last week it's, it's a little bit easier for someone like me who isn't particularly tactical focused um tactics focused even um to appreciate that quality in women's football because it is a little bit slower and it's without it's also without like a lot of the noise and the nonsense and the kind of the individualism that goes with with men's football and all the kind of the storylines that you I, you try not to, but you end up focusing in on and they kind of draw your attention away from everything else in a kind of big macro sense. Mm, yeah. What's been your favourite game so far? I really like Sweden, uh, Switzerland against Portugal just because of the Portuguese comeback. But um, uh, Germany, German press are all over kind of the um, uh, the German performance so far. They battered Denmark in their first game, the 1-4-0. Yeah. Uh, but prior to taking the lead, they must have hit the post uh, or bar about six times <laughs> in 10 minutes. It was absolutely ridiculous. To the point where it was happening two or three times within the same move. Um, but they look really, really impressive. Um, mm -hmm. They look very, very powerful and like, their forwards are playing really nice football at the top of the pitch too. So I enjoyed that. Um, I quite enjoyed England. I I know I know what JJ is saying. I, I think he's probably right about the nervousness. But I think all things considered, like it was, it was a really nice occasion because you got to see these players playing in one of the theatres of English football, but in a great, I don't know. I think it's probably true about all the games so far. It's played in a really nice atmosphere, like in a really optimistic, enthusiastic environment, which I know it's a little bit of a cliche to bring that up, but sometimes as an antidote to kind of the, the overwhelming negativity of, of men's football, all the complaining and the grumbling and uh, why isn't this happening with my team and we haven't won in like one and a half games and so forth, so I'm going to sulk about it. It feels a little bit refreshing. I suppose that's also partly because it's happening at this time of year, you know, sort of between the men's seasons in like classic international tournament territory. But I've really enjoyed that. 
Yeah, no, that's been nice for sure. Um, JJ, it's worth pointing out that England are playing Norway tonight and our podcast isn't released until tomorrow, so we can't talk about that, obviously. But Norway, big team. That's a tough game. It's the toughest game for England in, in, in the group. How do you rate their chances? And I'd love to hear an accurate prediction that won't be edited in tomorrow morning <laughs> that will be, you know, what do you think? Don't know enough about Norway. I know they have very good individual players. And they, uh, Anna Hegerberg, that's her name, isn't it? She was Player of the Year a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. something like that. I'm not going to say I know enough about it to confidently say, but I think England, with home advantage, always makes a huge difference in tournaments. Sure. So my football man prediction is that England probably win it 1 0, 2 0. Okay. John, John, Owen, Barris, JJ. <laughs> uh, well, Norway play in a 4 4 2, and they play with Ada Hegerberg up front. But then they... We just have the camera on JJ's face while John's yeah. talking. <laughs> I called her Anna Hegerberg as well there. So. <laughs> I, I was trying yeah. to paint over I've that. I've got the name wrong. Sure. I know who she is, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but they have Caroline Graham Hansen as well, who plays for Barcelona, who usually plays in a wide area. Uh, and, and she's one of those players, I think, that Jonas Edval pointed out as playing in a, a not not as optimal position because she's playing just behind yeah. Hegerberg. So, yeah, very much the central attacking threat from those two players that is going to be the one to, to watch out for. Okay. I also don't know enough to be able to make an accurate pr- prediction, sure. but well, I think it's going to be a tough the, game for yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter, does John, it? was it um, was it Norway who beat Northern Ireland in the first in the first game? Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. yeah. They look they look really good. They look very, very useful. Terrific. Yeah. Well, JJ Bull, raise your game. Let's discuss Paul Pogba to Juventus now. I mean, this has been something, uh, you know, long trailed, I suppose. And uh, we talked about it a little bit while you were away, JJ, but I figured it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on it because he's been uh, officially unveiled, announced now, having returned, what, six years after he came back to Manchester United from Juventus. It also seems like Juve are potentially setting up to play in a, in a 4-3-3, so he might be in his favoured position. Uh, and they've done some other interesting transfer activity this time. It's Angel Di Maria who's gone to Juve as well. Uh, so it's a fairly interesting time to be at Juventus. What are your thoughts about this? Fine. Fine. Yeah. Okay. I don't... I mean, what do you want to say about Pogba? We'd know, we know all about Pogba. Sure. He's a good player. What do we know about him? Uh, good lad. Mm. Tall. Uh, can dribble and pass. He can do those mm. things, yeah. Was best, as everyone knows, in a three at Juventus when he had players like Marquisio and Pirlo with him, or whoever else was there with him at the time. Yeah. It seems like he goes somewhere at Vidal, yes. Mm. He knows Turin, because sure. he used to live there, and will have happy memories. Serie A is not quite as... Well, it's a competitive league, but it's not the same as the Premier League. He might be, just be better suited to playing in not the Premier League, sure. which is very, very quick end-to-end. Might have more time to do his lovely creative things that he's very good at not if Milan have anything to say about it but sure well yes teams, yeah. but then he also gets to where did Juventus finish last season was it fourth in the end? fourth yeah. yeah yeah so they'll be in Champions League right so he gets to play Champions League football sure doesn't have to worry about that absolute nonsense at United mm-hmm. so he's escaped from that he can probably have a bit of a happier life <laughs> not yeah. getting absolutely done in the papers every two weeks or so just good for everyone and really. on the TV as well at the same time yeah. every weekend you make more documentaries sure See, that Pogmentary has, like, the lowest possible score you can get on Did Rotten you Tomatoes listen to the podcast while you were away? No. We talked about it. Did we? I really liked it. That's <laughs> good. Did okay. you finish did, it? Did, did no, you I finish, finish it? it? No, 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 I didn't mm. finish it. I never went, never went back to it. But I, I got what I needed from it, which, uh, just uh, a long story short, what I got from it is not what they intended. But it's good. Anyway, another interesting element to this, of course, we mentioned Angel Di Maria there, John, is that Juve's transfer window so far, free transfers, veterans. I mean, it's what we've come to expect a little bit from Serie A teams more recently. And it's also something we saw uh, from Inter buying older players. I think they are 
more welcome in Serie A than they might be elsewhere. But uh, yes, yeah, an interesting one for you, Vey. Yeah, I think the thing that strikes me is that it feels as though a lot of the teams in Serie A are being a bit smarter in their uh, approach to to recruitment mm. and and Juve do seem to be bucking that trend a little bit um, so it'll be interesting to yeah. see how that I mean Juve obviously have gone back to Max Allegri as a manager as well and then they're sort of bringing in players who they've you know Pogba who they've had before and Di Maria who's sort of obviously a sort of veteran free transfer as well so 34 isn't he yeah getting on a bit yeah. um, and I, I suppose the, the the big question is going to be like what impact is that going to have on them because fourth place isn't good enough for, for a team like Juventus so um, will we will we see another poor season from them relatively speaking although having said that I guess over the course of the last season um, I think that that Juve actually played quite well in the second half of the season and if they'd have kept that form up for mm. most of the season they may well have uh, had enough to, to, to win they, the they were within reaching distance with about 10 games to go like it was possible still for them to win the title wasn't it it's just Milan yeah. and Inter didn't they really had a really up. poor start to the season and, yeah. and that sort of hamstrung on them and then they had a really long stretch of, of unbeaten games I think um, mm. so I guess they're just sort of hoping that that will continue and that they'll be on a, a better points per game record than, than the other teams over the course of a season with Allegri there from the start. Yeah, okay. Matthias Delict, Seb, again, player staying with uh, Juventus, it sounds like all the rumours suggest that he might actually be leaving. I wasn't really, I hadn't really read anything about that before, before this week, but will you fill us in on the current situation or what do we understand it to be? Okay, so current situation as of Monday when we're recording is that um, Hassan Tanihamazic, who's Bayern Munich's sporting director, is meeting with Juventus today. Matthias de Ligt very much wants to go to Bayern Munich. I think if I've read the, the various bits and pieces right, de Ligt's wages are a little bit problematic for Juventus. And they could mm. probably do with getting out from underneath those. He would step into a, obviously, like a powerhouse side right atop their domestic league, probably going to win another Bundesliga title and be a, a Champions League contender immediately. Whereas it feels like we, we've talked about this, like the kind of the, the recruiting and the kind of um, adding of experience. It feels like events aren't really transitioning. They're just in a kind of between time stage, which is a fancy way of saying transition, maybe. Yeah. But it feels like Bayern Munich are closer. And I actually really like to look to Bayern. I think that actually... Ever since that great Ajax team that reached the semi-finals of the Champions League got broken up, I've had a few doubts about some of the component parts within it because everybody uh, was so sold on all of them and so wholeheartedly. Uh, yeah. I don't know, like it, it felt like everybody bought in a bit too soon. So Ziyech, very good player, not an excellent one. Donny van der Beek, very good player, not quite an excellent one. Frankie de Jong, probably an excellent, outstanding player, but just hasn't quite shown it yet, just hasn't been in the right system. De Ligt has had really good moments in Juventus, but he's had really bad ones too. And I suppose it's pretty difficult because he's still a very young guy. People forgot how, how young he was when he was captain of, of, of Ajax and, and how unusual a situation that was. And so to go to Juventus on that kind of money with that kind of wage, and if you think about who you're succeeding in that Juventus backline, that's a tough, tough act to follow yeah. or, or series of acts. So maybe a change of scenery would be good. I think Chelsea also, Joe, just to cover <coughs> our bases. Can we stay on Bayern just for a second before we come to Chelsea? Because I, I just wanted to ask, we have Dio Pamacano and Lucas mm -hmm. Hernandez in the current sort of centre-back pairing. Mm -hmm. uh, is De Ligt going to come in and replace presumably Hernandez? Probably not Hernandez. Uh, there's a little bit of chatter about Ibn Meccano leaving. Oh. That seems unlikely because he's a Nagelsmann favourite from RB Leipzig. And it's a very um, recent acquisition, cost them a lot of money last summer. 
Well, not so much because he had a release clause in his contract. So he went for less than 40 million euros to, oh. to buy Munich. Upamecano, um, I still think they bought the wrong player. I, I think I preferred Canate. And that's not hindsight. I think if you go back to the podcast, I think we talked about this at the time. I think Canate would have been a better fit for Bayern Munich. Um, Upamecano is still a really good player. Just He's had a bit of a bit of difficulty in transition, as in transition to the clubs, not in the, the game state. Right. Um, because it's not easy. Like going to play for Bayern Munich is... Like in Germany, it's a, it's hard because it's not like going to play for for Manchester United, where your your media focus is split between United and Liverpool and Chelsea and Arsenal, etc. The the focus on Bayern Munich is total in Germany. Like on the TV, in the press, it's like at times no other team exists, and that's tough. I don't know whether that's complicit in his season, which was quite disappointing, but he would certainly be the kind of the the, the most vulnerable of the Bayern centre backs that's still there because Nicolas Soule is already gone. I don't think if Meccano will leave, I think he might lose his place. But okay. we'll see. But he's probably the one. I, I think Hernandez probably a little bit safer because of his left-footedness, mm. I would say. If you're building the squad as well, though, you want to have like one yeah. player and a backup for every single position. So if you suddenly have Meccano, Hernandez, what, Kouassi would be the backup just now, maybe? Yeah, like, probably. Stanisic, I mean, not much of him. But then I you've mean, got- Pavard is still there as well, which is, um, he might go, but then he covers... He comes the right, right back, side as well. Yeah. Like he can play everything, so it, it, it's it's difficult. But then I suppose if you're buying, you don't want to be giving too much away just because you had a bad year. You've brought in a lot of players who are sort of an, of an age profile where Azraoui okay, is ready to go, but I'd say someone like Gravenberch. Mm, I mean, great player potentially, but maybe a year or two away, you're probably still going to lose Lewandowski. Gnabry's future is uncertain because of his contractual situation. Mm. So you don't know what you're taking away. I don't think I'd be in a rush to just chuck out centre-halves who, who mm. sort of have a lot of Bundesliga experience. Fascinating. Uh, well, let's just do Chelsea quickly, Seb, because uh, they need all kinds of defenders, don't they? Yeah, so we've got... Um, so this is released on Tuesday. We have Chelsea Sensible Transfers coming out on Wednesday, so tomorrow, oh. in listener time. What great time. And... Yeah, perfect. Um, Unless delicious signs before that's released, in which case, what bad don't, timing. <laughs> yeah, bad, bad timing. But mm. I don't think it will happen. It, I think Chelsea just sort of mentioned in dispatches at this point, like with Simon Hamasic meeting Juventus on Monday, I think it's clear that they're very much in the box seat to, to complete the transfer if it's there to be done. But Chelsea have just been mentioned just because very good centre-half is seemingly available, therefore big, rich English club, probably with sure. big defensive needs, should Make be interested. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, fine. I will uh, have. I have done this organisation host work poorly, Seb, because I must stay with you to ask you about Clement oh, no. Longley. Let's just pretend these other two people don't exist okay. for a second. Hey, let's take one of our breaks. Yeah, let's take a break. Okay, but when we come back from the break, we still have to ask you about Clement Longley. Yeah, but you it's know, a little bit. Somebody just delayed it. Yeah. yeah. Now, now go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, player that comes with caveats. It's it's a year loan. Um, Clement Longley to me, uh, good player, damaged hasn't had a very good time at Barcelona mm. is not his stock is not where it was when he left Sevilla such as life he, he's been a Barcelona player at a pretty difficult time and he's suffered as a result of it so it needs to be rehabilitated but at the same time you would say that about all of the centre-halves Antonio Conte inherited with the exception of Romero at Spurs mm-hmm. who was just not really available because of international duties and, and whatnot Langley Longley even kind of fits the positional need like left-sided centre-back really good passing player will suit the system can play in the advanced areas that i think we saw ben davis crop up in 
uh, towards the end of the last season. So you're getting someone that could be rejuvenated, but might take a little bit of time. Forgive me, I'm uncertain about any clauses in his contract as to whether mm-hmm. that can become permanent or <laughs> that's probably a question for a, for a David Ornstein or a Jack Pitbrook. But yeah, it's good. It's depth. I don't, I don't think he's necessarily an automatic starter. He's certainly not the kind of player that Spurs were, were aimed at before the summer began. He's mm-hmm. not like... Um, He's not a Bastoni or Guardiola or, or a, a Badashele. He's not that kind of player. And you also can't cover the middle centre-back position too. Uh, or at least I, I wouldn't feel very comfortable in seeing him do so. Um, so it's a depth signing. It's not a it's not a game changer. It's another um, useful one. Champions League experience. Played okay. lots of big games when he was Barcelona. So uh, good and bad. We had him mm. in sensible transfers back in January, actually. So um, there's some, some good bits in there if people are interested. Okay. Um, also on Spurs, JJ, is it Gianni Vio, 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 Leeds legend? Vio. Vio. Gianni, Gianni Vio, been appointed a specialist set-piece coach. Mm. I can't remember who it was. I watched something. They were talking about the importance of set-pieces, how you, how you compose your training. Mm. And like obviously, when you build your training sessions, you work out what you want to work on that week or towards a longer-term goal or whatever. So if set pieces make up, I think like a third of all goals or something like that are scored for set pieces. Gianni Vaio wrote like a that? book called The Extra 30%, which is how much he thinks set pieces can add to a team's goal tally. Mm. There's, I don't remember the number, so this is a bad anecdote as usual. Mm. But like, there's a huge amount of goals are scored in all leagues across the world from set pieces. Mm-hmm. But if you only do one set piece session a week, say you have, I don't know, 12 sessions a sure. week. If a third of your goals are coming from them, then you should have... A third is training sessions for attacking yeah. set pieces and a third for yeah. defending them. I agree. I wonder how many people do that. I don't know. I bet there are some people that do that. Definitely. I bet Sam Allardyce did that. Yeah, I bet he did, yeah. Did some smart things. Well, then Liverpool got the throw-in coach. So many throw-ins. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good idea. Best that person. Yeah. yeah. What's the deal with this Leeds legend then, John? I was just going to say on what JJ was just talking about yeah. in terms of how you structure your set piece training systems. I listened to a really interesting podcast last week um, from I think it's called Modern Football Coach uh, podcast but they had uh, a guy called Andy Parslow who is the Swansea City set mm. piece coach he was really interesting it's a really interesting podcast mm. um, well worth hunting out but he was talking about how a lot of coaches will will just sort of throw set piece training in just the day before the game and they'll just run through some of their routines on, on that day whereas um Andy Parslow was saying that he likes to work his set piece training in across the week so mm-hmm. that you're adding like a little bit of a, an extra layer in each each time. And so by the time you get to the weekend and, and you're going into a game, you've, you've had a much, much more um, exposure to what the actual routines are going to look like. Very interesting. By the way, that podcast is called the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Okay. And uh, that is coaching set pieces at pro level. Andy Parslow interview. What's the sort of the mental benefit of doing that, John, kind of periodizing set piece practice? Did the, the podcast touch on it? I think that his take was more that if you're doing it just in one session, you're throwing a huge amount of information at them. Ah, I see. Okay. Um, and so what he likes to do is he sort of gives them the theoretical stuff early on and then they'll run the routes for that um, mm. as, they're, as they're going. And then they'll add a player in and say, right, we've now got a defender. This is the defender that you have to get around on this side. Uh, and so you're slowly building up so that they, I guess, understand why they're doing what they're doing as things go and you're not just dumping the whole amount on them uh, at any one point. But yeah, really fascinating hearing how how coaches build up their set piece routines. So they'll, I think a lot of them will only have sort of like three um, routines that they'll use and then they'll they'll allow their players a certain amount of freedom to, to, to do stuff um, elsewhere. And I guess Andy Pazzo was talking a lot about um, principles of play so you teach them the ideas and then you allow them to then enact those ideas in in 
set pieces as, as you do them rather than being like in this set piece you're going to do this in this set piece you're going to do that mm. all of them will have the the principles in their head so that they'll know actually if the ball is coming this way then i run this route or it's i have to get behind this player or something like that yeah i think one of the ways they do it is that earlier in the week he gets them to paint a fence mm -hmm. or sweep the floor sure and then later over the week then what happens well they become the players realize later in the week when they're doing set piece training that sweeping the floor was actually yeah because they're doing it with the cloth on their foot it's smart so they could hook the ball in better mm -hmm. but they didn't know it all along and so they were naturally trained in it yeah i don't know where these uh, football coaches get their ideas from but it really is creative stuff isn't yeah. it yeah speaking of creative stuff harry Maguire has been kept as the captain of manchester united now i say that not as a criticism of harry Maguire or of the choice purely i include the word creative there well the real reason is because it's a uh, segue and there's no reason at all but the reason i'm making up here is because you sort of have to be creative in that scenario because there's no answer that everyone is going to like no also the negative effects of replacing him as captain are just not worth... Colossal. Yeah. He'd have huge. to leave. You destroy his confidence completely. Yeah. It would embarrass him to the point of humiliation where... I mean, the thing... The captaincy does not really matter, really. Does it, though? Well, the... Because it matters to the other players, right? I think is the, the level of respect you might expect to get as being the captain of Manchester United makes you a big figure so i suppose that might help but there'll be leaders within the dressing room and on the pitch who lead in different ways there's different kinds of ways of leading mm. but a lot of it so it depends on where you look and what you read and what you watch or whatever but some players in like podcasts or like secret footballer type stuff will say that the captain what they really do is they just deal with sorting out the tickets for people's families on match days right <laughs> that's mostly what a lot of them do it's a pain in the know ass that was a responsibility yeah well i think it was i can't remember if it was someone at liverpool or something like that it's, 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 i can't remember who it was so um but they're talking about how it's just it's a real pain being the captain it's not yeah. a great job but you like the responsibility of being the captain you want to do the press conferences mcguire speaks well he's just a smart boy yeah. so he can represent that well and then he just, I don't know, if you, yeah, like we said, if you take it away from him, it's the fallout from that is too much I to deal with. The other way of looking at it, though, is like, and you know, picture this: you're in an office environment, you work for, you know, it's essentially you, you are below someone else. I'm mm. the captain, and you're not. And you look at what I do on a day-to-day -day basis and think, I'm better than him. I know you think this. I do think I'm that. better than him. He's terrible. Why? Why? Why does he get to organise the tickets for the weekend? You know. Yeah. And would that not demotivate you as uh, as a, as an employee? Would you not feel like, let's be serious about it, other players in the Manchester United dressing room thinking, why is Harry Maguire the captain? Do you not think that's possible that, I think that might then have actually have quite an impact on on the team? Probably, even yeah. though the external perspective of it for us is just that, well, they're it's like about whether they're an on pitch or off pitch leader, or do they are they vocal or not? Whereas in, well, in the dressing room, if you're Ronaldo coming in as a, like a multi Champions League winner, Euros winner. Sure. Uh, coming in and Harry Maguire a player who frequently makes mistakes and is derided in the press for for them like it's a huge like when you're the captain of Man United suddenly you're, you're a huge deal like you're basically a massive celebrity so therefore in the English press they have to take you down mm, <laughs> that's yeah, the rule yeah um but if you if you don't respect that person's ability which maybe is not what I'm not saying that's what anyone thinks sure, it could sure, be sure. And you're looking up and that guy's a captain making these sorts of mistakes. So you wouldn't get that in the Alex Ferguson years because mm. it just wouldn't have happened. I think it was probably a mistake appointing him captain in the first place because you maybe want to keep it with in-house or something. At I the don't time, know. though, who on earth would that have been? <sighs> don't know. That place is, in, is such a mess, that place. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's probably an issue. But then, like, 
if you come to the club and you meet the captain and he's nice, oh, that's good. Sure. It's worth saying that a lot of the group dynamics happen in situations that we don't see, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the decision to make someone like Harry Maguire captain is based probably more on those other areas that we don't see than, than the on-field stuff. And mm. I, I think that most... I think that the, the Man United players will be aware that Maguire is a good player. They'll see him in training every day and there's yeah. not the, the pressure on him. And if he's also someone who is personable, like you've said, then it makes a certain amount of sense. And I actually think that if Ten Hag coming in and, and sticking with Maguire is probably going to be more powerful than being like, right, we're just going to get rid of Because you yeah. risk, I guess, alienating the whole dressing room by getting rid of yeah. the one captain rather than maybe alienating a couple of players who are just like oh I don't like him as captain and you sure. don't have to be like, to lead like, and kick that team like uh, up the backside. you don't have to go in and suddenly start shouting and screaming like and maybe some of them need the support sure. and if that's what his you also don't have to be the best player better. Roy Keane was never the best player no he was like the water carrier sure. part of that captain's class yeah. Yeah. if you ever wanted water you'd go to Roy Keane he always had it on him Yeah, everywhere he went people never say that about Roy Keane now they're, all they really do is talk about how he does the anger angry pundit stuff and you know what is he is is does he is there a wry smile there but the most yeah. important thing about him was if you were dehydrated or thirsty you, all you had to do was go to Roy it's, and they talk about it often in autobiographies yeah. about how he always had three or four bottles of water on him at any given time sometimes you'd carry like a like a vat that of, yeah I've read that he, too because he had a well in his house so it, it's interesting the stuff different kind of stuff that goes in books Seb would you have stayed with him well yeah because I, I think Harry Maguire's had an awful lot of negativity around him last year and you strip him of the captaincy you create another very very negative news cycle around him and it's really harsh and also if you're Eric Ten Hag there isn't much good news in Manchester United world at the moment it's basically uh, ooh Maguire's still captain where's De Jong we haven't signed him yet is this left back good enough uh, we need more players Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't seem to want to be there you're just adding another thing aren't you and yeah. a little bit of quiet wouldn't hurt anybody at Man United. No. And also, who are you replacing him with? I think that's that's well more important indeed. than anything else. But if you if you if you had um, if you had an outstanding option, if you had today's version of Roy Keane or a Cantona or whatever uh, or a Schmeichel, then it kind of some of that can sort of absorb the negativity of the it's, decision itself. It's but, Bruno Fernandes, though, presumably, right? Yeah, but is he? Like, he, he's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe I'm just, you know, a, a rival fan being dismissive, but he just seems like a very petulant, very easily irritated player who sulks when things go badly. I don't... I wonder if the if, if his, if his colleagues think that, though. I don't know. This is just... We, we aren't party to kind of what Man United mm. players... Well, actually, we are party to what a lot of Man United players think of each other, because leaking seems to have continued happily. Sure. But yeah, Fernandez, I don't know. He doesn't... In my sort of old, nostalgic way of looking at captaincy and its importance... Like you have the certain traits and it's a sort of a stoic figure who's unbreakable and, you know, epitomizes sort of uh, indomitable spirit and all that, you know, all that, um, you know, misty eyed stuff. And <laughs> Bruno Fernandes yeah. <laughs> just moans a lot. He's a very, very good player, but that's sure. that's 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 his on pitch personality. Yeah, so yeah. um, there was that, uh, that business a couple of weeks ago where he was seen swearing at a fan, which probably didn't help, mm. which the Internet seemed to enjoy. If we bring it back to reference of video game, like always, when you select your captain and football manager, the two, well, the attributes you need to get right are determination, uh, leadership, yeah. and work rate. 
teamwork mm. yeah not so, water carrying is that not a no that's not an option I don't think it's mm. one of the hidden attributes but uh, <laughs> if you um, it doesn't tell you how many bottles of water any player has on them at any given time <laughs> unless you go under the hood mm-hmm. so if Maguire is as we say like a nice lad and knows how to lead and get some people inspired mm. to play and sort of do that and also if he sets the right standards in training that could be the thing that you want you, someone who's got high standards uh, at least in training we've, he's going to play too he's going to yeah. like I think part of this criteria is you need a guy that's going to be picked for 38 games of the season if he's available there aren't actually that many Man United players who you could say that about outfield players like I, I don't really mind making a goalkeeper captain I think De Gea would be fine uncontroversial there's no doubts over his his, team, his first team plays but then really without sort of another proper centre-half signing I don't think there are any for, for Maguire either so he's going to play which is a good thing Listen, guys, just because football manager is apparently the the statistic we need to follow in these cases. Yeah. What did you say? They were determination yeah. is one of them. So for Harry Maguire, we have a determination of 17. For Bruno Fernandes, we have a determination of 19. Mm-hmm. For leadership, Harry Maguire has 17. Bruno Fernandes has 18. What's the other one you said? Water carrying. <laughs> work rate. Work, work rate. rate. Work yeah. rate. Uh, Bruno Fernandes has 18. Harry Maguire's work rate is 15. So according to Football Manager, Bruno Fernandes is better oh, than in 12 in all so of those areas. What? What, are you, what are you looking at? I'm reading this on the fminside.net. I'm looking at the... Yeah. In my game, Maguire has got 12. Well, I think at that presumably would have dropped over time as you've played your game. One season. One, I, yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's been a difficult year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, don't, I don't have a, a game, but it, that surprises me because that's not what kind of... That's not what I associate with. Just him. make up your own numbers, Seb. What, what yeah, no, are you 25. <laughs> 25. Somebody, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of 25, uh, let's have another break. What a lovely break that was. 25. Mm. Roberto De Zerbi leaves Shakhtar Donetsk. I thought Tom this McKenzie. was interesting for, for two reasons. Obviously, one of them is the Ukraine angle. So he's only just joined Shakhtar Donetsk and he's he's, mm. he's leaving uh, for, for obvious reasons. But Roberto De Zerbi is a, a coach who's pretty highly thought of amongst the tactics nerds. Yes. Uh, and so the idea that he could be coming back into one of the top five leagues, leagues of European football is, is quite exciting. Mm. Where was he beforehand, remind me, in Italy? Sassuolo. Sassuolo, that's right. That was yes. a fun, fun team to watch as well that's as well yes Deserbi Saswell I believe Tifa have a we a have video a video on that, there about that. Yeah. a number of yeah. videos I think fine well good to know we will uh, pay attention uh, to the, the future steps career steps of Roberto Deserbi very exciting something on the Rafinha saga question mark I know that was you John because that you're a Leeds yeah. fan Sorry. very interesting now the thing about Rafinha is that uh, we know that Arsenal were linked with him throughout the whole summer. It then became apparent that Chelsea were going to try and swoop in and take that at the last minute. And all of a sudden, Barcelona came out of nowhere. Barcelona are a team that we appear to not understand how they continue to do this. And maybe that, you know, we, we actually left it off the, uh, the, 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 the schedule for last week to discuss the, the situation with, oh, maybe we covered it. Did we cover it? The 20, you know, they sold We, talk, we talked about it last week, I think. We did talk about it. Uh, but we talked about the, yeah, they, the financial They sold 10% structure. of their future income yeah. from uh, television rights for 25 years. And this is perhaps one of the ways that they are, I imagine, going to finance a deal for Rafinha. Because as David Ornstein tweeted yesterday, it appears that that transfer is moving into the closing stages. Mm. Yeah, the, the reason I thought that we should talk about Rafinha today is because I, th- I do think that we're seeing just changes in the market. We talked already about how uh, I think teams in the in the in the top five leagues are, are going to are finding that they have to sell. 
differently to the way that they did in the past. Mm. Um, the Premier League is becoming sort of an aggregator of capital, so there's more money in the Premier League. So we've talked a lot about how the top five teams and the top six teams in the Premier League are going to have to start selling players to one another. So um, Raheem Sterling is someone that we've talked about as well on this podcast, um, moving from Manchester City to Chelsea. Mm. Um, and I think with Rafinha, the interesting thing is that he's sort of he's not been bothered about moving to Arsenal or Chelsea uh, according to the sources that I've seen um, and he's held out for, for, for Barcelona and I, I wonder how much we're going to start seeing players I guess curating their careers a little bit more uh, because Rafinha I think has always wanted to move to Barcelona mm. and I suppose that if he moved to somewhere like Chelsea or Arsenal then it was going to be less likely that that big move would come through to him in the future so it was, it was almost as though he was happy to be like I'm happy to stay at Leeds yeah if this doesn't come through. Quite a useful uh, situation to, to say that in because it, it, it also seemed like Leeds really couldn't keep him. So Yeah, and I think that Leeds needed to sell him. Like yeah. the, They'd factored in him leaving as part of their, their transfer plans and the, you know, there's, there's all sorts of reasons why you know, you, you you have to decide who is going to be sold as well as who is going to be bought. And mm. uh, yeah, I think that it would have impacted a lot of aspects there. So yeah, that this could see us... Uh, in the future, I suppose, seeing a change in the way that clubs are approaching the transfer market as well. Seb, you opened your mouth as though you were going to say something and then I left a space for you as a professional would and you didn't say anything. No, well, I, I just want to know whether the money that Leeds has spent so far this summer, John, is, is the money that they're anticipating getting from the Rafinha sale. Is that, or is this going to be extra? Is there going to be a splurge that follows his departure? I don't know. I mean, if you actually look at the amount of money that Leeds have spent in the last three windows when they've been in, or sorry, the last three seasons when they've been in the Premier League, the the net spend has been massive for mm. a, for a promo newly promoted side. And I actually don't think many people are talking about this. I, I'm not entirely sure why, but I, I suppose a lot of this was supposed to be offset by the the moves of Calvin Phillips and and Rafinha. And I, I suppose it, we were in a situation earlier on in the in the window where it looked as though. Phillips was going to go below what people thought was market rate. And there was a situation where Rafinha was just going to hold out for Barcelona and go at a, at a reduced rate there as well. Although it, it, it transpires that it, that fee has been bumped up to the sort of level that Chelsea were offering as well. The reason I ask is just, I mean, partly because like Leeds, Rajasani is a wealthy guy. He's not like oligarch wealthy, but also if I'm hedging my bets and if I'm thinking about uh, spending transfer money before it comes in, I don't want to. I don't want to assume that Barcelona are coming up with like a the money, but also the payment schedule that doesn't inconvenience me mm. at some point further down the line. Because like they spent the last six weeks trying to haggling over ten million with with Bayern Munich over Lewandowski. Um, the idea that they've got another sixty five million just ready to kind of essentially reimburse Leeds with feels I don't know unrealistic. Yeah, I, I do think it's a really interesting one because. You, you don't want to get into a situation as Leeds where you're having to almost force Rafinha to go to Chelsea yeah. if he doesn't want to go there because yeah I, I, well I guess you can he can just refuse to sign for them and then you have a player on your books who yeah. is is supposed to be playing for you and and and, and is ref well is upset at the way that you've dealt with him so um, in terms of the the players that we're going to bring in now I think that there's there's still this striker situation that is is going to be um, rumbling on for a few more weeks and um, Charlotte de Ketelar is the is the player who's been linked with with Leeds obviously Milan uh, are the favourites in that one but I guess Leeds now have a chunk of money that they can can throw at that if they really want want to um, and then there's there's rum, rumblings about a left back position being filled as well because uh, Junior Firpo has picked up 
another injury uh, in a in in a no shock of the of the summer but um yeah i, I don't think we're going to spend a huge amount more money from here in terms of like bringing in a lot more players but we may throw a lot of money at someone like charlotte de catalara mm, more leads updates to come no <laughs> doubt the good thing would be because mm? Bar- barcelona can't they can buy these players but they can't register them till they sort out their finances is that still the case uh, they need to get a lot of money in and they need to get outgoings of players and lower wages. They're trying to make new people like Sergio Roberto to half his wages or something crazy. Is that still ongoing? I thought now that they'd done their TV rights. It's been alleviated it a little bit by, by the, the, the sell-offs. But, but I still not completely. Think was it, what was it, 250-ish million? Was it something yeah, like that? Yeah, euros. And they, they, need to, they still need to sell players and they still need to bring their wage bill down. They need to massively increase their incoming money so that you can balance out because of the way that the Liga works with your yep. salaries and the amount of money you have to be able to make to pay that. Mm. So and there's apparently there's, there's an app that they have to use to register players yeah, that takes into account app. all your finances, right? Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. if you don't meet the criteria, you can't force it through. You just can't. The accept button doesn't come up. Imagine the in, idea in of the, having to call the support for that app. Yeah, yeah. Hello. <laughs> see, yeah. uh, I see the problem. It's a 400 million debt. Yes, uh, your problem here. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Barcelona, but uh, you do have rather a number of years ahead to come back. Can I make the point about Barcelona saying, you know, they, if they do buy Rafinha, great stuff fine, whatever. Don't they have every player in the world? I'm very confused about how many forwards they have because they bought Aubameyang. I'm not sure. I mean, Memphis Depay is, 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 is he Memphis Depay still there? Yeah. Uh, although maybe, maybe going to leave. I don't very know. Very much for sale. Yeah. There seems like there's an awful lot of players and they're also trying to buy Lewandowski. It sounded like as well. Like, where, just, where are they going to put all these people? They've just signed a new contract with Dembele as well, right? In the same yeah. position. Is he not, yeah. He's not signed, is he? I think he has. I yeah. think, is he I not think signed? he has. Yeah. I don't think he has. I didn't know that. Well, well, a lot has happened when, when you've been away. Yeah, I've not been attached to anything. But then Dembele is on huge money. So Who? Dembele. Oh, Dembele, right. Yeah. yeah. That's the Scottish got, pronunciation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you said Dembele. <laughs> I don't know anyone's name anymore. Uh, Scotland Dembele. Uh, they need better players, Barcelona, because they're not... They need fewer players, I think. Well, they need much fewer players, yeah. yeah but, um, they need less players, better ones. Am, am I missing something? I agree with JJ entirely. That they do need better players, but also... Um, they also need to spend less money. Yeah. And you just think maybe the need to spend less money conquers the need to have the shiny player just for sure. the summer, maybe. Just because if lessons were learned and you wanted to put the club back on an even footing... Oh, they're never learning those early. <laughs> but this is the thing. It's like if you... If you if, and Joanne Laporta has spoken about sort of the financial mismanagement of previous areas, and I get that he's entirely right to do that. But then if you follow that up by making other really poor decisions, not in the same way, I, I understand, but just settle. Like be competitive. Well, on, I mean, on, on that note, so like we, we talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, I think the really interesting thing about Barcelona, Real Madrid, that there are, you know, one or two other Spanish clubs uh, have this model, the presidential model, mm-hmm. where the, you know, the, the, the socios all vote for the other club members, all vote for, uh, for the president. You end up in this situation, which you do a little bit with democratic government elections, where uh, an opposition will point out all the things that have been done wrong and then when they arrive the they'll they'll say all things about how they can get in and they'll be in for four or five years they'll try to do those things 
a lot of them, you know, you could make an argument to say a lot of the things they try to do and say are about being re-elected rather than actually doing the right thing. And you end up in the situation where, although, and just to be absolutely clear, I'm not advocating for um, dictatorships, <laughs> I'm not, but there is a benefit when it comes to football clubs with having the same owner uh, and the same people making decisions for 10, 15, 20 years, or at least making the decisions for the long yeah. term. Now, that isn't always how it actually happens at clubs that have the ability to do that, privately owned teams. Uh, do all sorts of stupid stuff all the time. So I'm not saying it is definitely is better, but there's an interesting conversation about the, the different ways in which teams end up, or the different sorts of problems teams end up getting into as a result of their, their different 100%, operational uh, structure. A hundred percent. And that's, I think that is a really important aspect to this. It just surprises me that Barcelona have so many different ways of presenting this potentially, because you could talk about if their fan base questioned the lack of investment this summer, you could talk about boring stuff like finances, but then you could also say, well, hang on, um, Gavi's contract needs renewing. Pedri's mm -hmm. will at some point in the future. Now, what you don't want to happen is two or three years down the line, you would be going, sorry, a year after losing arguably the greatest player in the game's existence on a free transfer because we quite literally could not afford to employ him anymore. We've lost probably not his successes, but players that fill a similar category and on, on you know sure. the kind of global hierarchy because we spent 50 million euros on um, Rafinha. A Rafinha. No, I, I, I like Rafinha, but I, I would say sure. Lewandowski is the better example just because great player though he, he has been and remains he's still in his approaching his mid-30s he has no history of playing in a Liga and um, that is a huge amount of money for someone of his age and I would also say Bayern Munich seem awfully keen for him to leave I know publicly they don't and they want the money but it's they seem to be very accepting of, of, of kind of moving on from this player who they didn't want to give a longer contract to and mm. so it's just it would be so easy to present these as reasons and justifications for winding back the spending so right we're just going to we're going to get rid of Mtiti and I think Pjanic is still on the, the wage bill at, at Barcelona for instance and you've got Ansu Fati there and, and we've talked about Gavi and Pedri and, and they're wonderful players and you could still do quite a lot with this group. Dembele has re-signed. You don't need to go and do these just for the sake of waving a signing at a fan base. You can yeah. you can make a more rational argument, which is not just about sustainability, but this is what we'll be able to do next summer and the summer after, and this guarantees mm -hmm. ten years of, of Gavi and Pedri instead of two. Mm -hmm. Like it's yeah. not it's just not a difficult argument to win, and I, I just don't understand it. I mean, I, I'm very happy sure. to be corrected. It just seems a bit weird. That's well, I, I would say uh, the most interesting thing that Seb said there was a great band name, Pedri's Will. <laughs> it does, that's good, isn't it? That's all I could hear. Yeah, that's very good. Gabby's so extension. Pedri's Will. Yeah. Gabby's extension, Pedri's Will. Yeah. That would uh, be fine. a sort of um, mid-2000s indie guitar rock. band. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely short, short jangling guitars. A little bit emo, but not emo. Sure. Loads yeah. of fringes everywhere. You know, just, Speaking of a little ties. bit emo, but not emo, mm. Jack Wilshire has become uh, the under-18s coach at Arsenal. Again, I mean nothing by that segue. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, no. He has retired. That was That's what happened the other day, uh, JJ Bull. Um, you know, he was good, wasn't he? In his day, early on. Do you remember that goal Giroud scored? Or was it he score it? Was the, it his goal? The Arsenal five-a-side classic yeah, goal. Yeah, against yeah. Norwich. I can never, like, the re look, put it this way, it was such a good team goal, but I can't remember which one of them scored it. That's because not one person did score it. Indeed. It was the whole team. That, I think that's one of the best goals I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it lovely. so fun, that goal. Uh, and Wilshere's probably the most vengery player you could have got coming through that Arsenal team. Yeah. Maybe Fabregas, actually, is probably the most. Sure. But uh, Wilshere, I would say... Used to make eleven aside look like five aside when he mm. played because it was all short, sharp, 
clever little movement, pass and move, very a very Barcelona type player. Mm-hmm. There's all the quotes you always see when was it a Dani Alves and Xavi or whoever it was saying sure. that, like, oh yes, he could play at our level definitely. Yeah, I I feel like I can't remember him. What I should have done before this was read the podcast plan. Sure, sure, and watched yeah. some of Wilshire. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing him live mm-hmm. a couple of times. Only he was very good. Mm, yeah. It was good. Yeah, yeah, John McKenzie. Yeah, I just put a few th- thoughts about age curve stuff because I think like Wilshire is the first player that we have where he sort of played loads when he was younger mm. and and never really fulfilled his potential because it felt as though he burned out a little bit. And that's probably because he got his ankles smashed in it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Everyone knows the way you you play against Arsenal is you bully them and go in hard. Like, so many players they lost. Who's that? Uh, the Croatian guy. Uh, what's his name again? Eduardo. Eduardo, yeah, like stuff like that. And then Ramsey also, like just mm. really hard challenges. I'm not mm. saying and no one told him to go and injure them, but you knew if you went want to stop Arsenal from playing, you just go and scare them a bit. You, rough, hard. you rough up the boys. Yeah, mm. and Wilshere had this <laughs> natural inclination to dribble towards trouble. Mm. So he'd, he'd carry the ball when you know you're going to get smashed. Like, I mean, at that level of football, you can't not go into those challenges, but he regularly would and would come out with his ankle hanging off. Yeah. It's a shame. Tell us about this age curve. Yeah, I just I, I found a, a a viz on Twitter from uh, someone called Luons L O U R. When I saw that uh, Twitter L-O-U-R-N-S. handle, I wondered if it was a kind of parody of Buans. <laughs> They're saying Buans. Yeah, maybe it is. They're saying Buans. That's the, yeah, mother, the first that thing that came it. to that my must mind. Be it. You're right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, really helpful graphic because it shows players how many minutes they've played and a few players stand out there. Mm. Very um, small, isn't it, John? Yeah, sorry. Well, um, it, it's bigger on... Can you explain it to me? <laughs> um, can we put it in the, the video uh, podcast so people can see it? Uh, yeah, maybe, Don. Can we put this graphic full screen when you do the... Yeah, Don's putting a thumbs up. So you should be looking at it now. Yeah, and the so you've got Bukayo Sacco. Saka, sorry, who's uh, 20 years old and he's put up like twice as many minutes as you would expect from an average player of his age. So you've already got someone like Bakaya Saka playing way above his his um, his minutes expected. Oh, and then, I see him at the t- in the 20 range there. Yeah, that's yes, right, yeah. Yes. And then you've got Yuri Tielemans, someone who we've talked a lot about on various channels recently. Uh, again, a player who uh, I think a lot of people just see as being slow and old and, and, and clumsy or whatever. But actually, again, playing... He's played, I think... I can't, I can't read exactly yet. Is it, does that say 33? So he's played the same amount of minutes as a 25-year-old as you'd expect yeah. your average 33-year-old to, to, to get as well. And then obviously yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo, just lots and lots of minutes. Sure. Um, Obviously, also, lots and lots of old. So yeah, yeah, true. So, but I thought that was kind of fascinating. Like, to what extent are we going to see a compression of players' careers on the basis of the fact that yeah. they are able to play more minutes sooner? Is that oh, Phil Foden M- in, a, in a good there. little bracket there? Is that yeah, Phil Foden managed by Guardiola yeah, all the way exactly. Through? Phil Foden, that kind of a kind of interesting one, uh, and the, and then Dwight Gale also um, highlighted there because he's played fewer minutes in, in, in of football than Trevor Chalaba, who's uh, yeah. Vardy. He'd be like minus or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh no, Vardy's there. Vardy's quite 35. quite low though. He, he's obviously the lowest of the thirty-five. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was an, an interesting. It graphic, is interesting. Yeah. I, I I imagine that. Um, I, I like to think of charts like this when I think of Wayne Rooney. Would have thought when Wayne Rooney was twenty-two years old, he would have been as high as Ronaldo yeah. is now. Right? <laughs> yeah. Played a lot. Played a lot of minutes. Outliers. Well, there we go. Uh, that's uh, Jack Wilshire. All the best to Jack Wilshire in his uh, position under eighteen coach at Arsenal. Uh, that'll be that'll be something to watch out for, I suppose. And a quick one. 
before we end today. Seb Stafford-Ball, a word on Amanda Broya, please, because Ooh. he's a, a young Chelsea player, striker, of course, who was on loan at Southampton um, in the year just the season just passed, who interests many clubs, apparently. We oh. really like Broja. Broja? We, uh, I, I think, think it's Broja. 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 It's Broja. Yeah. Okay. We really like Broja. Uh, one of those. Okay. Why are you closing one eye at me? What? Where's Everyone's, he from? He's from. Uh, he's from, from the Baltics, is he isn't he? Romanian. Like, hold on. I bet it's Broja. I bet it actually is. I've already. I've already looked it up in the past, but I'll look it up again just to be a hundred percent certain. Thank you, Albania. That's my. Uh, yes, Albania. How to pronounce Armando Broja in Albanian? Armando Broja. Bro. I don't know why you okay. guys don't just trust me. I, you know, what I've been doing this for wrong, six though? years. What if that's wrong? On yeah. four, though, an Albanian person <laughs> saying the name wrong, in which case I'll accept it. <laughs> I'll accept it. Uh, but, uh, you know, anyway, I wish I'd never put it on the plan. I really so, do. I really do. <laughs> but interesting reflection on him, because last season, like when he, when he went, first went to Southampton on loan, for I think just before Christmas there were a couple of moments particularly in that game against Palace where he showed like the kind of player that he could become and yep. he just never returned you know he was never quite able to sustain that level of performance or sort of that type of performance um I think if he was to go somewhere where if he was to go somewhere permanently where someone could apply a kind of a, a two three year plan to his growth as a sort of as an actual first team player rather than a Chelsea first team player question mark maybe possibly he might be included mm. get, get a chance you know because we've been that, down that road so many times before I think it's a slightly different situation but if he was to go to a Southampton permanently um, I think he'd be an excellent 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 footballer yeah yeah our Exciting. good friend Alex Stewart likes him our departed right. friend yeah well, he's, yeah. he's left the company. That made it sound... He's dead. Yeah, he's not dead. Made it sound like he died. He's not dead. No, Alex, no, no, no. Alex is alive and well. He, he is just dead. no longer works. No, 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 no. no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Listen, he <laughs> is dead. And as a result of that, yeah. he cannot technically be libeled anymore. So uh, that's interesting. Dead serious. Let's get him. About what Armando Broya. Yeah. Hmm? Dead serious about Armando He's dead Broya. serious, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, there we go. Anything, anyone else? Anything? No, it's good to be back. Yeah. I've been very bored. Right, yeah. I've missed his big smiley face. There it is. Sure, just, sure. You know, you weren't earlier when you were mad. <laughs> I, had, I, I had a very trying morning. I, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will publicly apologise for my grumpiness. I had a very difficult uh, couple of hours. Well, this well, what the listeners don't know is that it took us about eight times to do the intro of this podcast because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for various reasons. What was it we found funny? You saying your own name, dog. I think. No, I think it was you saying your own name as <laughs> well. I found funny. Name. Yeah. Uh, but then also Seb was a bit grumpy and that, that does funny, make yeah. it funny. Yeah. So. I, I have quite a hilarious grumpy face. And, uh, but sure. I, I must apologise because that was a bad way to start our, our, our week. No, no, no need to apologise. We already it. disliked you beforehand. <laughs> we'll continue to dislike you now. It's one of the reasons we've sent you to a different country. Yeah, no. So it's fine. But uh, Dankeschön, of course, Seb. Uh, yeah, it doesn't mean any of those things I said. <laughs> and uh, we'll speak to you again next week. Jonathan Dog McKenzie, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks yes. for having me on. And JJ Bowl the Bullard. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, producer Don. Yes. Don shrugged. Yes. Good stuff. And um, to the audio person. You know what? Someone told me who's doing it the other day. Really? It's not Adonis, the producer Adonis anymore. It's the audio department. Can't remember the name. It's a freelancer. Well, whoever you are doing a fine job thank, thank you. you thank you thank you, thank you. Very much. Yeah, can't remember the name that i was told yes, we genuinely appreciate your yeah uh, but we do appreciate skills. it yeah. yes 
Anyway, we'll be back next week with more. Um, until then, enjoy the Euros and whatever else it is that you're doing with your pointless lives. Take care. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>